2: Hello, my name's Jess Phillips, and this is Yours Sincerely. I've always been a prolific letter writer, both the good and bad kind, and know the power of putting words to paper. So in this podcast, I want to give my guests a chance to celebrate three people that mean the world to them. Someone they love, someone who's no longer around, and someone who doesn't realise how significant a role they've played in their lives. And when we've heard more about each person, they'll reveal how they would sign off each letter. Hannah-Jane Parkinson is a journalist and author who writes about pop culture, music, tech, football, politics and mental health. Last year, she released her book, The Joy of Small Things. Today, I'm excited to talk to her about the letters she would send to three people who mean the world to her. So you were saying you were getting lots of lovely letters at the moment?
3: I'm getting lots of lovely letters at the moment. I got one this morning, but sent... In April, this is why we shouldn't have privatised the Royal (laughs) Mail. Right. Oh, that is a lovely letter. Some real
2: thoughts gone into that.
3: It is very nice. There's lots of compliments about the book, but I like how one of them is that they love my command of English, which I think is kind of a baseline compliment. You know, like, I loved your book. You could possibly pass a TAFL course.
2: That is, but I have, funnily enough, I received not a letter, but an email this morning that said the exact opposite to me. It says, Dear Jess, your spoken English is absolutely appalling. Not what I expect from an MP who went to university. Very embarrassing. Regards.
3: This is what I was going to say to you and what I love is when you get hate mail that's also quite polite. Oh, yeah, Like, I'll get something that's like, Dear Hannah, I can't believe you get paid for this shit. Burn in hell. Kind regards. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? I hate you. Best wishes, John my friends and I, we, get, we love sending each other kind of screen grabs of emails or WhatsApps or texts of just kind of funny, awful things that people have said. One time I was sitting in Prague airport and she just sent me a screen grab where someone had tagged her into the Twitter conversation and said, um, yeah, she's really hot on TV, but I saw her in real life and she looks hag as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we enjoy sending each we other those you know. missives. But I also love how I have a box of, you know, how people keep love letters or stuff from their exes. And you think, I don't know why I have these because this is someone from 12 years ago who I actually hate. And yet somehow you feel you feel like they're just still there in there a, in a box. But obviously, when I die, all my writers writings will go to a kind of uh, library or a national archive. So it's important that I keep everything.
2: You keep all those letters, they, de- they definitely tell a story. I have a, uh, a really crap poem that a, a, a man, I was about to call him <laughs> a boy, he was not a boy, he was considerably older than me, that he wrote to me uh, that I treasured so much when he wrote it. And on rereading, it doesn't hold up. And I didn't even really go out with him for that, but I cannot throw it away.
3: But is that because it's funny Do you, and you laugh at it? No, no. I, it's
2: genuinely got some... I mean, maybe it's the 90s thing. <laughs> it
3: just reminds me of a time. It reminds me of a time. But that's a nice poem right there. That's how you can open yours. It reminds me of a time. It reminds me of a time. That's yours. <laughs> it's I shitter remember. than that. <laughs> my, <laughs> my first boyfriend, Christopher... I found um, the kind of Valentine's cards and the stuff that the cards that he used to send me, but they open backwards. Like we were so young that he hadn't, you know, like they open backwards and they're written sort of almost kind of right to left, which I thought was quite sweet. So I've kept those. Oh, that is.
2: As if you've got the five-year-old Valentine's cards from Christopher.
3: Christopher. I don't know where Uh, he is Where is he now? Who knows? Might be dead. My dad had a really horrific (laughs) birth. Um, (laughs) Let's hope not. (laughs)
2: I mean, I hope that he's like he lives alone with his of, cats. No, I I hope he's like middle management at an insurance yeah. company,
3: just living his best <laughs> life, just just going along. Yeah,
2: got a couple of kids.
3: Doesn't write letters to himself. Doesn't write
2: letters to himself. <laughs> Writes, <laughs> Writes
3: cards <laughs> that open backwards to himself. His
2: cats are very much alive. <laughs> miles. So let's go for your... Have you got any letters of note, though? I have to ask you this first. Have you got any letters, like, from, I don't know, Vladimir Putin or... Uh...
3: My letters of note are kind of just um, ones where, uh, you know, kind of like when I got the... When I joined the Guardian and I got the letter to say that I would... there Because they're just big sort of uh, life-changing, I guess, letters. Or I love the NHS ones that always come a month after the appointment. And although oh, my
2: mum got a shielding letter and she's been dead for 11 years. Incredible. So I, I'd say she's she's pretty been well shielding
3: shielded. well, yeah.
2: Yeah, she <laughs> she definitely did not get COVID 19.
3: That's just so funny and dark that I've completely forgotten what I
2: was saying. <laughs> <laughs> we, it made us laugh. Me and my dad, we had a little chuckle about it because he actually has. He has an immunosuppressed disease, so he's got um, blood cancer and he didn't get one. He was like, this seems unfair.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's kind of the wrong way around. Someone was talking about the fact that their son died and when they went to the funeral home to arrange everything, they got a receipt and it said, please come again soon.
2: (laughs) 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 No, no, thanks. I don't really want to come again soon. This is a
3: really cheery episode. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Um, you've got to be able to laugh at death otherwise yeah
3: although I have an embarrassing letter story which is yeah so I had a very supportive book you know nice teacher who when I was young said that she thought I would be a published writer by the time I was 15 which you think oh that's a really nice thing but then obviously hindsight has set me up for a lifetime of failure because obviously I was in by 15. So I thought, wow, I'm probably still in therapy because you've you've made everything. go you know, I'm just I've started to fail at the age of 15. So I wrote this like 30,000 words of what I would consider uh, obviously an awful novel because I was 15 or something and sent it to this agent. It was very sort of sex in the city. But obviously, I would not had sex or probably even drank coffee or had a cocktail. Anyway, I sent it to this agent and obviously got a nice rejection letter back because it was awful. And then about five years ago, the same agent sort of um, emailed and said they would really like to meet me. And I found, I dug out this this letter, which I thought would be a really nice roundabout sort of full circle Like, here's the letter you said, like, (laughs) when I was 15, this many years ago, look, you know, brushing it off, coming, getting out of my backpack. And they were so horrified. They were like, that makes me feel so old. And it was just this very embarrassing uh, moment. I thought, why did I bring that? That's so cringy.
2: No, I think that you were right and they were wrong. I think that's a brilliant, I would definitely have taken that letter to to show them.
3: I, I was slightly mortified and then obviously never. I never got in touch again. I think they then got fired for some kind of sexual misconduct, though. So <laughs> in the end, in the end, she's laughing. In the end, that happens to everyone, it says. No. It, was... <laughs> <laughs> it turns out he was a Tory MP on the side. so. It it...
2: I had to vote in Parliament um, about who was going to be, because the old chair of the... Uh, I don't know, environment and rural affairs, obviously very big and important in Birmingham Yardley, was caught watching tractor porn uh, and real porn, Uh, and so there was an election to replace him, and I I didn't, apart from the person I voted for, I hadn't heard of any of the men who uh, were on the ballot, and I said to someone in the tea room, but I've never even heard of half these, I don't know who, who they are, they're, you know. They're obviously interested in rural affairs, which I'm not. Um, I was like, I don't know who any of these people are. And the, the person in the TV room said to me, well, that does make me realise that they're probably not sex pests if you don't know who they are. I was <laughs> <laughs> like that. I mean, vote for one of them then. None of these, as far as I know. Sex pestery really does put you on the map for me. <laughs> I, I mean, many an anonymous Tory man, I'm like that. Oh, him. <laughs> Gropey McGropieson. <at> <laughs> so... The letters, those are brilliant letters of note. One that where you got the job you wanted and one where you were humiliated by a future sex pest. <laughs> They're great. Um, so I've asked you to think of three people. So the first one is the person who means the world to you. Obviously, I'd like to caveat it by saying that you don't have to only have one person who means the world to you and you don't need to feel guilty for not writing it to the other people who also mean the world to you. But I have asked you to pick one, so there you go.
3: I was tempted, obviously, to write um, to your husband, Tom, who I do adore and love. Yes, um, my husband, Tom. Um, but then I thought that is, would be a letter that was probably too emotive and, quite frankly, explicit to air uh, in public.
2: <laughs> he would have been... It would probably be the first time he ever listened to this.
3: I would just be full of obscure facts about computers and engineering and things. I've decided in a... I'm going to do an open letter to um, all, uh, and this initially sounds quite boring, but all of my colleagues, basically, because I think with the pandemic, and we're still not really back in the office at The Guardian. And, I mean, I'm not one of those people. I know a lot of people have said the pandemic's made them realise, you know, not to take for granted all the people in their life. And I'm not, I didn't really need that because I sort of already knew sort of the value of uh, those people and seeing them. But I am really lucky in that everyone I work with is I'm friends with or I do most of the people I work with I'm friends with and and really love and I think not seeing them every day and having that kind of you know the the just kind of the chats and the I was going to say camaraderie that sounds very pious but when you see job adverts and they say things kind of faceless corporations and they say things like come and join the family and you think oh god I hate that oh god you know I would nothing worse nothing that would deter me more than applying for a job that's somewhere said that but it is kind of like that I feel so yeah I would write an open letter to all the people that I kind of no longer see day to day because I'm living alone with my cats that yeah that hopefully we'll get back to soon seeing all the time because it's so much fun and I know we have you know zoom and gchat and stuff but there's a whole difference of gchatting someone when you're in the office and you can you're like gossiping about something that happens that that morning or something and also when you work in a sort of slightly public facing job and and you're kind of sometimes get a lot of abuse obviously you wouldn't understand either of those uh, <laughs> things this is all new information to you
2: my grasp of the english language isn't good enough for me to understand <laughs> the abuse that i get
3: um yeah i love that they drew written that you can't your grasp of english is awful so you can understand the letter um yeah i suppose there is a kind of yeah caberaudry and we just i just love them i just love everyone that i work with really is it's,
2: it's really nice to hear hannah because a, I think that the idea of a newsroom being different from a newspaper, you know, to the to the untrained listener, the idea of, like, sort of breaking news um, and actually all the production that goes into, you know, the vast different elements of a newspaper are different. But the view, I think, of those sorts of places of work is that they are mean and bullish and snipey and horrible. And that's because that's the way it's been dramatised, actually, largely. Um, is That's the way those things, apart from, of course, Press Gang, one of the greatest TV shows ever. <laughs> um, but I think it's nice to, for people to hear that people in those sorts of jobs actually like each other and have camaraderie with each other.
3: Well, I do think if I ever get frustrated at The Guardian, I do think actually I don't, I'm not sure how many other newsrooms <laughs> would, would be like that. But it, it is also... I mean, you'll know this uh, from Parliament. There are people who do sort of dislike each other and work. And I'm always kind of... I get on with most uh, people. So there is obviously... I mean, you just look online, really, about intra-guardian spats, whatever. But... um,
2: oh god there's plenty of column inches about uh open uh, open letters from the guardian you are not you are not the uh you're not the first to want to write an open letter to the staff at the guardian uh so yeah it's so uh, but that's what i mean like
3: well then this is my repast this is yeah this is me writing my open letter to say it is a very nice place to work yeah i do i do sort of miss them all then and it is um hopefully we'll get back to that i mean there are different people that i could have chosen, who've kind of been there, I think, in some of my worst times, who I, you know, also, as I say, love and adore. But um, I, yeah, I think en masse, the whole gang
2: yeah, I think that also. I mean, obviously, it's it's no secret, is it, that you have suffered from various different uh, mental breakdowns. Very not <laughs> like not the way, not the way that like you know my children talk about their mental breakdowns. Uh, <laughs> like you know, actually being quite ill.
3: Why does the term mental breakdown make me laugh so much? It's <laughs> just a kind of. I mean, like maybe it's a noun. Like death metal band. I don't yeah. know. <laughs>
2: Maybe, maybe. I mean, maybe that's not what people say now. I don't know. but yeah. I, I've lost track
3: you, of what people are yeah, saying Yeah, people about. say.
2: Anyway, um, but like, I always get the impression when you write about it or speak about it that you have felt completely supported, actually, in your working environment, which is absolutely not the case for lots of people suffering um, with acute mental health problems. That, that always, I think, comes across, that you felt, like, not indebted, but grateful to the people at The Guardian uh, for being so supportive in that environment.
3: Yeah, it's been yeah quite hard sort of missing all, all those people. But I have seen, I've seen, um, you know, what people kind of... What I loved about the pandemic was that people who live near you, suddenly, you know, when you start school and you sort of cling to the person next to you when you in a <laughs> yeah. point of group project and you sit next to someone, it was like, oh, this person lives in vaguely the same postcode. We're best friends now. <laughs> So um, yeah, so I went on a lot of walks with Marina, which was nice. Also, make the same joke with Marina all the time. If we walk around Hyde Park, uh, you know, say, "This your park, isn't?" She's like, "Shut up." So, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, just I think going back will will be really nice to to see everyone.
2: Marina is a is an interesting character, isn't she? I think that um, if there was ever a person I have met in my life who in person does not seem like the person who has written the things that she has written, I would say it was her. In what capacity? (laughs) She was just, I mean, A, she's tiny. I was just, I, I can never judge people's height very well, maybe when I've not seen them in real life. And I don't know, just like, I don't know, like much more I mean, obviously, she wasn't going to be rude to me. We were having a lovely time. But just, like, I just expected her to be really caustic all the time because she's so so brilliantly caustic when she writes um, that she's actually very polite and quite prim. I was like that. I I didn't expect this. And also, maybe, like, she, you know, she's... she's, I'm sure she wouldn't mind me saying this. She's quite posh. Uh, And so, to me, like, that immediately the sort of idea of this sort of, like... um, all all the references that she uses in her writing. (laughs) And then I was presented with this sort of lady. I was like, I feel like you were in a 90s teen drama and then now I'm meeting this woman in a floral dress.
3: (laughs) She does dress incredibly well. She's brilliant. She does. She, She dresses, although now you said she's small, I think. Am I small? Because I thought we were of similar height. But she does wear lots of nice boots. So maybe it's because she's uplifted but no she's brilliant and she as you say is is a very lovely and nice well-dressed person
2: oh she's absolutely she is she's, she's like a lady she is like a lady who knows who has seen literally every obscure film and then manages to uh put it into uh, her writing i am just i am bowled over by she must have a folder she must
3: i feel she must although i was very proud of writing a piece on referees football referees the other day and getting a letter to brezhnev reference in which i'm not sure i managed to shoehorn in. but i thought this is marina-esque almost you know we're getting there
2: it's like they they pop out there's like nine in in every paragraph i'm like that oh my god and it's like i know all the references you know when really good writing isn't it is when somebody um makes it feel like you it was written for you like the references that you know but then like everybody i know who reads it thinks that and then so they must just be for everything she must know everybody's references (laughs)
3: Yeah, maybe it's not one folder. It's an entirely separate laptop that she keeps. Yeah, she's got a library
2: of people's references and she's like, men from the 90s, men from the 60s. She works for GCHQ. She's got times on us all. <laughs> she's just listening in on all our conversations. Um, well, that is, that is brilliant. That's turned
3: into a Marina-loving. There's, maybe, in fact, fuck everyone else. My letter would be to Marina. <laughs> I've scrapped everybody else. I was just going to walk around and post
2: it. So, okay, so that's good. The Guardian, I'm I'm pleased to hear that it's not just horrible people sniping at each other and it's more like Press Gang.
3: There'll be some... I'll I'll get another hate mail written politely just for...
2: Oh, you will. Undoubtedly, we've upset some lobby by saying that you'd like the <laughs> staff at The Guardian. Some lobby. There'll be a gate of this. Be, yeah, there will. Know. Letter gates. A lot
3: of Uh, gates. I feel like we live in a giant field at the moment.
2: Yeah, yeah, there is too many gates. Tom said to me, the worst thing about Watergate is the fact that it made everything into a gate. Like, this is very annoying. So I also realised, I forgot to ask you how you would sign off your letter to, your open letter to the Guardian staff. So how would you sign that off?
3: My open letter to the Guardian staff, I think would be, meet you at the tea point in five.
2: So the second letter I've asked you to write, which you have already termed the dead letter, to somebody who's no longer there. So dead, your dead letter, who's your dead letter going to? Um,
3: my dead letter would be to my dead dad. You don't need to do a serious face, it's fine. I've d- already also, talked
2: about my shielding dead I was going to say, so. you're shielding oh. dead
3: mother. <laughs> it's like with my, uh, my friend uh, Catherine... Um, she she said I said something about my father ha- having looked like Colin Firth, and she said I definitely shag your da- dad. And I said well, he's dead, and she went, "I still would." <laughs> so, <laughs> um, anyway, again, what he would have wanted? Episode. Well, exactly. So he died when I was very young, I was nine. So I think it's sort of if you, I mean, for me anyway, I don't want to generalize, but it, if if I think a parent or someone that you're close to dies when you're very young, you sort of grow up feeling. I felt up feeling, kind of feeling, a bit like a half person in a way because you have that side, and I, I think sometimes if you if someone hears that your parent died when you were very young, they assume a kind of nuclear family situation. So they, but it, my yeah, dad and my mum weren't together. Yeah. yeah, so they think, oh, that's you know, someone f- f- disappeared from the home, but they weren't together. So I would see him, kind of, you know, I can't even remember really because it was sort of tenuous. I'd see him on the weekends, my sister and I. Uh, but he wasn 't sort of around all the time, and when you 're obviously that young you don 't know so much um about a person or, or, or as who they are as an adult or you know their identity so I would probably write a letter to him just to get the to get the goss really on what he was uh kind of um like and i've picked up various biographical information since but i think that's there's you're left with a lot of questions i think in a way so that would
2: are you close to his family like his mom and dad your grandparents no
3: <laughs> no so he although on, on the letter point i should say that he wrote me um i mean cra- quite crazy letters he also had his i'm gonna do it, issues
2: Issues, yeah. With the Kravitz
3: quote. So he used to write me sort of 20-page, 30-page letters when I was seven on sort of all sorts of political ideology and stuff, and I'm just looking for some kind of lollipop or something that's attached. But he did used to cut off bits of the Labrador's, like, you know, hair and tape them and say, like, love from Dad and Ben, who was the dog.
2: I mean, was he L. Ron Hubbard? Because it does sound a tiny bit like... I mean, 30-page letters to a seven-year-old about a political ideology. Is, <laughs> I, I think he was one step away from setting his up, up his own cult.
3: Maybe they're the same person and that's why I need to find out who he really was. Quite, he was um, quite old, very old when you think about it. So he was 63, I think, or maybe 61 when he died and I was nine. So that's like, you know, really pushing the boat out.
2: Yeah, that is and, um, an old dad. That's unusual, right?
3: Ancient. Yeah. I mean, what could you know? What did you expect? Really, like that's you know, boy yeah. on himself in a way.
2: <laughs> you were asking for this, mate.
3: So exactly, I should have seen it coming. So his he had two other uh, children. He was married three times, but not to my mum, which is actually quite offensive when you think about it. <laughs> you know, like not you, the other or every other woman in the world. But yeah, so I have these two half siblings who are, I guess, in their fifties now. But I only saw them once at the funeral. And I remember being quite disappointed because I thought they were gonna be like really cool and actually they were quite nerdy. So no, so I'm not in touch with any of that side of the family. And his parents would have been I mean, oh like, whew. I mean one of them was I think in in the Olympics in nineteen twenty one. So My God. I know So we're talking I know, right? And then she wasn't allowed... They had to, she had to have a chaperone because in those days, women weren't allowed to travel by themselves.
2: My friend uh, Jess, her mum was in the Olympics, the Munich Olympics, uh, when the bomb went off. she was off. a fascist. She was, she yeah. Was, yeah, she was a fascist. <laughs> that's right. She was, well, she was from the Australian team, so, you know, read into that whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and <laughs> uh, she was like 15 or something. She was like 15 at the time. And Jess says she's read her diaries from the Munich Olympics, and it's all about, like, boys she fancied. Uh, and then there's this, like, oh, there were loads of police officers around today, I wonder what's happened, and then goes back straight away to the oh, boys God. she fancied. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like, you know, that's the bit of historic sources you never see, is that the, the sort of teenage girls who were writing diaries when every single thing in history was being witnessed. There would have been some teenage girl who just thought, God, what's this fuss about? <laughs> great fire of london loads of people were just like oh i wonder if aaron's gonna come down the road later (laughs)
3: yeah (laughs) just getting trussed up for it that's why i love and in anne frank's diary. and there's a bit where she's just kind of like and then my friend and i touched each other's boobs but i don't think i'm gay anyway
2: (laughs) (laughs) good for anne frank so i mean do you remember sorry
3: can i butt in and say do you remember when um Justin Bieber went to the Anne Frank Museum and, and wrote signed a really guest funny things. Yeah. I'm sure you would have been a believer. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I don't know whether that makes me love Justin Bieber more.
3: <laughs> I I now quite like him. Yeah, I, I quite like his music. I think he went through a, a, you know, a turbulent phase, as we all do. And he's come out the other side.
2: He likes the NHS because he's from Canada and that's what I like that about him.
3: Oh, yeah, he sent them a nice little note when they yeah. did they beat him to number one. Or he said, I don't know. He said, either. stop
2: buying my record and let the NHS get to number one or something like yeah. that, which is, you know, how gracious of him. Um, I know, I was going to say,
3: that's, we've set a low bar there for people being nice. But anyway, good for Justin and good for Anne Frank. <laughs>
2: Cheers, Justin. Uh, so, I mean, it's quite, that is quite a complicated history, really, to not see your dad very much, to receive seven-page letter political ideology, and to not know your, do you want to know your stepbrothers and sisters particularly?
3: Um, half-brother and sister, but um, I, that was a really, that was quite a, a sassy correction, wasn't it? That was quite...
2: Yeah, no, 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 um, but that, I think that speaks volumes. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, my real brother and sister. I think you'll life. find.
3: Um, I don't know because most of the time no. I feel I don't really think. I always feel quite bad when people, other people who've had uh, their parents have died. You know, they say, and I think about them every day. And I think oh, I don't. I hardly ever really <laughs> don't really think about it at all. But um, no, I occasionally, occasionally I do think. Yeah, it would be interesting to kind of know what they're like. I worry that I might, you know, meet one of them and have sex and not know.
2: I mean, that is a real risk. You know, in Iceland, there's an app for that.
3: I know. I love that. I really love it. And I love that that's not an urban myth. That actually does exist.
2: I know. I I genuinely, somebody showed it to me, the actual app, an Icelandic person.
3: They used to have, I don't know if this is still the case, but their prime minister's number used to be in the phone book as well. But that might have stopped because
2: of... Also, I think they, they publish every... It might be Norway, but it might be Iceland. They publish everybody's income. Like, so there's no... Like, to stop the pay gap thing, That like they publish what everybody's salary is.
3: I'm not sure whether... Well... That, in a way, is also like a dating
2: app. Well, mine is published, so I'm... more. Well, yeah, for it. <laughs> so Everyone gets to nose at mine, so I, I'd, I'd really so like it if we did that. everyone get to
3: nose at yours.
2: Yeah, exactly. You know, I want to nose at everybody else's. I think I've, I sh- actually, I've shown you mine.
3: I've shared, yeah. I actually would also like that so that people on Twitter could stop assuming that I earn millions of pounds. I don't know where these people heard that journalists get paid metropolitan liberal elite so I, okay, when i moved to london i was on sixteen thousand pounds but okay sure
2: <laughs> yeah sure. sure it was it was like we were eating gold bullion for breakfast <laughs> um i mean yeah which it, i do now obviously but. obviously now you're an establishment figure now so how would you sign off a letter to your dad
3: oh actually this is uh the, oh, um the worst bit actually was that he he had this in the worst bit. The last weekend that I had with him, there was as you know, I'm a big Liverpool fan, and I'm still in mourning for the way the season ended, um, which is not.
2: Uh, somebody told me it was Aston Villa's fault, but
3: <sighs> it was. But um, at, sorry, no, on be half fair, of it wasn't. It wasn't because actually, you did uh, your your best. You did. You, I mean, you were two 0 up, so you know, there's you tried. I did try. I, th- you I tried did a good very job. hard. Yeah. I thought you did a good job, Jess. Um, but just wasn't, you know, misses As Good As A Mile, as my granddad yes, used to so. say. indeed. Um, anyway, so this last week I was with him and then I didn't go to Anfield a lot because it was expensive. And um, I don't know, I just didn't. But my neighbour had this like spare ticket and I remember feeling... Um, quite guilty because it was, we didn't get, we didn't see my father that much, but also I really wanted to go to this football game. So I sort of left his early over that weekend to go and see Anfields and this this final game of the season. And I felt really bad about it. And then also he, then he died. So, <laughs> so then I
2: thought, oh God. Did you think that you'd killed him? Like... I think he was
3: died of a broken heart. Just-
2: yeah. I, um- I mean... When I was a kid though, I was obsessed with that my action, I suppose it's slightly like the actual version of OCD, rather than um, like the sort of way that it gets talked about <laughs> in American dramas, um, is that I used to genuinely think that my, it's very egocentric and my children, they definitely, you before you have like a scope of the world, I used to think that if I didn't do things, people would die all the time. Like, like people's lives relied on my actions, but not just even people I loved. Like, literally just random people. Like, if I don't do this, people will die. And, like, did you feel, like, guilty that you hadn't seen him? And that I haven't. Have have that's him?
3: quite common, I think, that type of anxiety or OCD. I'm, I'm quite lucky in that I don't... Maybe I'm just too much of a shit, like I'm too, I don't care enough because I never, I've never had that sort of feeling in general, but because I, I know a lot of people who think, well, you know, they think they, if they don't switch the light on and off that something will happen to someone. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. It comes from that rhyme, step on a crack and you'll break your mother's back. Step on a line and you'll break your father's spine.
3: I mean, don't, don't tell <laughs> children that, that's a dreadful thing to say. My version of that was just, step on a crack and you'll break your back. So oh. again, I don't care about other people that's just about me. I've never had the the other one, um, so that is so depressing. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Nobody there, there was no family members involved. It was just like look out for number one. <laughs> um, so yeah, a maybe I murdered him, uh, but b I just yeah I felt I've I for a long time felt very guilty that I thought um, I'd given up or last weekend together. So maybe I would write. I'm sorry that I went to, I went to watch also the really insignificant last day of the season football game that had no bearing on anything. Um, oh, did they win? I think we did win 3-0. But then, you know, the whole trauma, the, the thing that people say about trauma, about oh, your memory is quite bad around it. Um, but yeah, I think it was against Wimbledon. I remember that. But also maybe to say, I'd say, why did you send me really boring seven page letters about things that I didn't understand? And I just wanted like a drumstick. Right? Maybe, maybe
2: you know? yeah. Maybe he had real foresight there because, like, now, I think also
3: he, mental illness. Uh, as well. I
2: mean, also maybe and he was a bit mental And foresight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's that as well. But let's imagine that it's because he had amazing foresight and he maybe knew that he was going to die. And, like, he wanted to make sure that you had something that you might understand when you were, uh, you know, older.
3: I think he thought, yeah, I would publish... He was leaving his letters to me to publish. He thought, one day she's going to grow up and work in the media and she'll see to it that these, these incredible thoughts of a thinker, these thoughts of a thinker, a 90s thinker and philosopher, she'll see to it that they go out into the world.
2: Oh, God. There was too much thinking in the 90s amongst boys well, who were trying good. to have sex with you, in my view. <laughs> Stop thinking all the time. Stop talking to me about Jack Kerouac do one i <laughs> e
3: the only book they'd ever read <laughs> yes
2: yeah that or um nineteen eighty four those were the two and apocalypse now, the film it's just like yes i've 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 those are the three i've heard this patter this is, not, this is not the first time a boy in the 90s has said these things to me. Yes, it's a masterpiece. Um, I, I mean, I'm sorry I went to Anfield. It's, it's, quite, it's actually quite poetic, I think. It's, it's like a good title for a book.
0: Hey, Mark, what is up with your bad self? Well, hey, Simon, what is up with your bad self? Well, as it turns out, lots is up. Like, actually, what? Like a whole new podcast. They thought we were going away, but we're back. Biggerer and betterer and largerer and more is more. -er. And it's going to have reviews of... Big films, small films, weird films, new films and... And television. Kermode and Mayo's Take. Follow now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers.
0: And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST.
2: Okay, so the last letter is somebody who doesn't know the effect they've
3: had on your life. Yeah, so I'm going to pick at the moment Abdul and Adam who are the people who work at my local cafe, which is currently my office. Um, Because in the book I do, and again, I know people throughout the pandemic have have sort of come to realise this, the sort of local people that you interact with. um, And you've people, you know, had people on who've talked about that. And in the book, I mentioned a guy called Zane, who used to work in my local corner shop. He used to give me a banana for free every day. I think just really was maybe really concerned about my potassium levels, um, and he said this great thing once. He said, "Because I'm very pale," and he said once when I was coming out, um, "Are you are you German?" I said no, and he said, "Why you have no blood?" <laughs>
2: <laughs> I like that. A right, he felt that it was you were in a comfortable phase enough to say that to you um but also the idea that Germans have no blood
3: (laughs) yeah exactly so so yeah I loved Zane um and then I moved away so goodbye Zane um but everywhere I sort of live I have um you know I'm a regular in certain places and again I, I I mentioned this in the book and you have those people pharmacists are always good I have a pharmacist, Mohammed, who makes a big difference to uh, my life because I'm so bad at organising um, prescriptions and stuff like that because a lot of the medication I have, you're not allowed to have on repeat prescriptions for awkward but perhaps obvious reasons. Um, and, yeah, so they they're deal with my bullshit and make a big um, difference. But, at, yeah, at the moment, I would write a letter to um, Adam and Abdul, who are, are kind of... I see every day when i um you know do my work and they know my order and what i want and where i sit so that people like that are very important
2: i don't think that people actually say enough how important those people are so i have a local coffee shop and the man who makes the coffee is called alistair maybe all people who do this have to have a name that begins with an a yes the the a team I mean, he literally got mentioned at my mother-in-law's funeral. And he's just the bloke, you know, he's the bloke who makes the coffee. But he, like, he's there every day. Like, every day of my life. Like, well, when I'm in Birmingham. And every day of all of my friends' lives who all meet in his coffee shop. And, like, I mean, he's obviously now my friend. But it's, like, those people you see every day, like, you don't see your your family lots of people don't see their kids or their parents like anywhere near with the regularity that they see adam and abdul and yeah like it's like that but what we don't pay anywhere near enough credit to like the environment like we talk a lot about how housing makes your life better if you live in good housing like you, you all sorts of things will likely be better in your life but actually, it's more than that it's like the environment where you live. If you have people who know your coffee order that's that's major i think in in like the value of and quality of your life
3: yeah, and it's the consistency as well. I mean, in the place that where I used to live as well they i don't know how they knew it was my birthday, but it was quite sweet, and they came out again, obviously living alone with my cats. Um, it was exciting. I do need some, exactly, some people I can pretend are friends. And um, they came out with the, and they bought candles and put the candles in two slices of toast and lit them for my birthday, which I thought was so sweet. Again, though, I don't know why I'm coming across as, um, as, Complete, like miss havisham you are <laughs> just...
2: coming across like miss havisham but in tie-dye <laughs> instead of a wedding you've got a tie-dye wedding dress you're you're in the november rain video with slash that's the uh that i always wanted that wedding dress incidentally if i could get if if i actually had a proper wedding not just like at a register office where i just wore a black dress i would go i, I would go full november rain get up that what a wedding amazing
3: you wearing a black dress to your Wedding is quite funny. It's quite yeah. funereal. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. is
2: the end. It, I mean it had white flowers on it, but you know, it was a black dress, yeah. If
3: if um Alistair and Tom were in a fire, which one do you think you would
2: save? <laughs> save. Um well, Tom has uh because of his love of anything really technical, Alistair has essentially taught him everything that he knows about coffee. So I could replace Tom I could replace Alistair's coffee making. Uh with Tom's coffee making but I, I, would, I would you know it's a tough call I, I mainly because they love each other so much that I think that they would want me to sacrifice myself or they'd be disappointed I feel like I'm the third wheel in Tom and Alistair's relationship really
3: they'd go to, yeah they'd go together they go together
2: they'd Go as a pair <laughs> <laughs> oh that's so nice so Abdul and Adam it's it's a coffee shop
3: and they are they brothers partners I'm not going to say where it is because I don't want you know
2: no don't I don't want you to be murdered uh in this coffee. I
3: was shop. just going to say have less space, but yeah yeah all that
2: <laughs> um did, is it are they brothers Thanks. business partners lovers no,
3: they're just I, all three um <laughs> no, I think they're non, none of the above, but now obviously, I wish they were uh Adam is the kind of the guy who knows my order, and Abdul is the chef, so he, well, so they both know my order, but um, they're very, yeah, they're, they're good to kind of chat to and see. And there's even, the, oh God, this really is sounding depressing, but there's a chow chow, there's a dog uh, that I see on the way every day. There's <laughs> a massive chow chow. You know, they're just most ridiculous dogs that look like lions slash bears. Um So he's very cheering as well. Wow, it really does sound like I have no friends. <laughs>
2: No, it doesn't. It sounds like you live in a lovely... It sounds like you live in, in, in a Richard Curtis film, is what it sounds like, <laughs> in the muse. I mean, that's a good plot point in a Richard Curtis film. How would you sign off your letter to Adam and Abdul? Uh,
3: I would probably just say the usual, please. Lots of love. I know.
2: Well, the entire staff team of The Guardian, some of whom I also uh, deeply uh, love and admire, some of whom I don't I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll make no bones about that. Um, it's nice that somebody cares about them, though, and they're getting a little letter. Um, and, it's good that someone's going to go to their funeral. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's good that someone will show for them. And your, frankly, brilliant-sounding father, who was... Not as important as a Liverpool match.
3: I do uh, love the way brilliant is a synonym, always a synonym for, like, mad.
2: Mad. I was going to say yeah. mad. And then I thought loads of people were writing and saying it was really insensitive. Your, your mental-sounding dad sounds brilliant. And uh, Abdul and uh, Adam, who I feel, out of all of these groups of people, I would get on with the best. Hannah, it has been a pleasure, and it is as it always is. And uh, we now that you're, you know, not just walking around parks with Marina Hyde, I, I hope that we will see each other soon. But thank you so much for doing this. It's been a hoot.
3: It has. Thank you very much.
2: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Yours Sincerely with Jess Phillips. If you want to hear more conversations just like this, make sure you follow Your Sincerely with Jess Phillips on the podcast provider of your choice. And why not write a letter to your friends telling them all about this podcast? You could also follow us on social media. We're at Jess Phillips Pod. Goodbye.